Good morning. So for anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Matt and I'm the vicar and it's nice to be here. I suppose I am paid to be here, but it's also nice to be here as well. Um, you might want a pen. My hope is that I'll say something useful this morning and you might want to go away and think about it later. Um, but let me start you off. Could I have my images up? That would be really helpful. Now, not the Museum and Art Library, right, because somehow it's done that on Google. But where have we, what's the link between us and the red dot? Anyone know? Anyone know what place that is, the red dot? Down the bottom left? It's got something in common with us. Oh, one man, go on then, Andy, what is it? Preston. It's Preston. Yeah? So any time that I say to someone, particularly in the south, that we live in Preston on Tees, they're like, oh yeah, I've been there. And we're like, okay, which coast are we talking about? And it's always the wrong coast. But I thought I'd start you off with an interesting story because Preston in the 1800s, so quite a long time ago, went through a sort of revival. They had a really good minister there. And um, this is the church. And during the time that he was there, they planted five churches across Preston. And they planted in what's called a minster model. So they had one big church that grew really healthy. It sent out lots of little plant churches and that became the minster model. But... By 2019, there were 12 people worshipping in that church. That was it. It basically shrunk and died. And so the diocese had that whole question, what do we do? Do we just shut it? Do we do something else? And so there was a guy called Sam Haig, who was the minister that went in there to try and plant a church back into it again, to try and bring some new life back into the place. Now, there are over 200 people who worship there. And there's children and young people and all sorts. And the thing that looked dead and done was then brought back to life again. It's one of the things that we're praying about in our vision as a church. Where else do we want to see new life in our communities? Where do we drive past a church or drive past somewhere and think, oh, Jesus could be worshipped in that place. If only a team went out and people saw the dry bones could become something more than that. Sam writes, we've already seen lives change since we started the church. One lady called Charlotte came to our pre-launch gathering at our house. She had a vaguely Christian background, but neither she nor her husband attended our church, attended a church. After our pre-launch, they attended our church and rededicated her life to Christ. She is now fully part of the church community, engaging in mission and living out her reawakened faith. Colin and Amy, a couple in their mid-twenties, that seems quite unlikely to me, a man in his mid-twenties called Colin, but anyway. <laughs> Colin and Amy, apologies to any Collins this morning. They would walk past the church on their way to the nightclub next door. But one day they decided to come in. They were amazed by the welcome, the message and the whole experience. They've been back every week since, came to Alpha and now bring many of their friends. Our last Alpha course had over 60 guests over half of which were people we had never met. In the 1800s, he writes, the vicar then planted five churches in Preston. We are excited to build on that legacy and see what God will do in the coming years. Isn't that encouraging? Do you know, nearly every time someone comes into our churches, they're quite amazed because they think you come for something boring. Yeah? Yeah? But even just stepping in the door and experiencing something different, God's presence, a welcome, makes a massive, massive difference. We have a real privilege to invite people in and say, do you want to come and journey with us? There's something more, perhaps, than they expect here. Dry bones. 
the breath of God willing people and suddenly life. Now I'm going to ask you this question a few times this morning. Where are you looking in your life and thinking, dry bones, I wonder what God could do. It might be in your workplace, it might be somewhere else that you find yourself, it might be in your street and you think, oh, could my neighbour become a Christian and discover Jesus? Could my workplace be changed? Where are my dreams? Where is my vision? What am I praying for? Because that was dead. Twelve people in a building that size. And yet, God transformed it. Our passage in Ezekiel begins, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And I wondered, when have you been aware of the hand of the Lord on you? When were you aware of God's hand on your life? Perhaps you're aware at the moment. Perhaps there's some time that you look back to and you go, that's when his hand was really on me and I was really aware of it. If we look through the Bible, there's a few places where we see this same phrase, the hand of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he would raise you up. Isaiah 41, fear not for I am your God and will strengthen you and help you and uphold you by my righteous hand. Or John 10, the good shepherd, nobody can snatch you from his hand. Do you notice though in each of those, God's power is there and his guidance is there. There's a kind of bit of both that are going on. And the phrase that kept coming to mind for me was a weight of intention. There's a weight of intention, a sort of sense. What's God going to do? If you're not feeling that at the moment, you might want to pray and just say, God, lay your hand on me. If you're feeling like you need empowering, if you're feeling like you need direction, if you're feeling like my vision's got too small and I need more of a God-sized vision, those are the sort of things that you might want to ask God for today. And when his hand is on us, we feel strengthened, we feel uplifted, we can see what he's doing. In your mind, is that what the Valley of Dry Bones looks like? I was having a mull over that. There's a lot of bones in a Valley of Dry Bones, isn't there? They become an army at the end, so that must be an awful lot of bones. And Ezekiel would have been completely shocked by this. When I was at school, people used to have insults for each other. They probably did when you were at school too. But back then, the insults that people would have used would be things like, you're going to die and your bones are going to be left to rot and no one's going to bury them. That was like quite a common insult. Yeah. Yeah. Ezekiel's area this was, not my area, right? That's quite a long insult, isn't it? You're going to die, your bones are going to get left, and no one's even going to bother to bury you. That was what people would have said to each other back then. It's like a big insult. And so Ezekiel, when he's in the valley, he's like, what on earth? Who are these people that have been left here and no one's even bothered to come back for them? We see the same idea Moses says from God in Deuteronomy. He has lots of wonderful things that God would do if the people follow God. But if they don't, he says, your bodies will be left for food for the birds and the animals. And there'll be no one there to frighten them away. And so when Ezekiel sees the valley of dry bones, he's like, who are this lot? Who are these people who've left God? Who are these people that nobody can even be bothered to bury them? And he gets that answer, of course, a little bit later. Before he finds out, though, God says, can these bones live? And I think that's a brilliant question. I wonder what you look at in your life and think, 
God, could you do that? Could you, could you, could you change that situation that I'm thinking about? Could you lead this person to faith? How, what could you do? Can these bones live? The obvious answer is no. These bones can't live. We did um, health training about six months ago as a staff team, first aid. And kind of, they brought in the Rosassianis. Have you seen them? Yeah, a few of you had a gun. It's like a little doll, but without arms and legs and, a, and a whatever. And you do the whole thing and, make, and you, know, you try and bring them to life again and whatever. And you hope no one else has kissed them before you've kissed them because it, well, breathed into them. But the point is that they, they can't live. Bones can't live. Nobody does CPR on bones, do they? It's like way, way too late. And so God's point here is there isn't a time that's too late. Even in the worst of situations, God can turn it round. Even when there seems no hope and no life. Listening to Simon's world record-breaking attempt earlier, or successor, I should have said, Simon, it made me think, what are the things that we've boasted about in the past? I had a particularly ridiculous boast the other week. We had friends round, and we started boasting about taps. How many taps have we got in our house Now, it's not actually our house, it belongs to the church, so it's not too boastful. But can I tell you, we've got 14 taps. It's quite a lot of taps, isn't it? You're mentally clocking how many taps have you got in your house. It won't be 14, trust me, we've got the most taps. (laughs) But you know, the one tap that doesn't get used much is the outside tap. The inside taps, all the time they get used, but the outside tap, not on very much. And I was mulling about us as a church. Like, in a sense, our inside taps are on all the time. People who come here get blessed, get prayed for, get encouraged, and get sent out. What about our outside taps? How often does our community get blessed without coming in the building? How often do we kind of look at the bones out there and go, do you know what, we love this to live, and we kind of turn the taps on. Jesus said that each of us, if you're a Christian, would have like a fountain welling up in you. A probably slightly easier image is if you imagine during this week you're carrying a tap with you and it's got God's blessing in it and you get to turn it on different places and to share that blessing with other people and encourage them and do good for them and show them that God cares for people not just in this building. That's one of my prayers for this coming year that people wouldn't need to come here to know the blessings and the goodness of God but they'd know it out there that might at some point bring them here but actually they can discover God on the way. At times I find myself stopping praying about situations and stopping being hopeful about them and going, God, these things can't live, they can't change. But in this passage we learn all things can change. That God is the Alpha and the Omega, the one to which every knee will bow. And if I believe that, if I get it, then I can become like the widow at midnight that knocks on the door and keeps knocking You might remember Jesus' parable about being persistent in prayer. I would have looked at the bones and said, no, God, they can't live. But Ezekiel says, only you know, which seems a very sensible answer to God, doesn't it? Only you know. And so God says to him, speak to the bones. Why does God not speak himself? Why does God speak through Ezekiel? He didn't need to. God was there. The bones were there. God could have just bypassed Ezekiel and that would have worked. Yeah? But instead, in the midst of it, God says, I'm going to get you to speak my words because my words have power. My words create the heavens and the earth. 
Here's my words that you can use to speak into that situation. God sometimes does that with us. Sometimes he speaks to us just to describe what his take is on the here and now. And sometimes he speaks to us and says, I want you to speak the future of this place into it. I want you to pray into it. I want you to declare the things that I'm going to do, not just the things that have already happened. And we get that privilege to do that. In a bit, we are going to have a little go at that. What are the things that we want to see happen to change? And perhaps, what is God's heart for those things to happen as well? His word is incredibly powerful. His word changes things. It's only at this point, really, that the army arises and Ezekiel finds out who they are. They are the exiles and those left behind. And they felt there was no hope, but God breathed hope into them. God says, and I love this bit, even if they were in their graves, I would open the graves and get them out and bring them to life. Can you imagine that picture? Like it's not too late. I'd even open the graves if I had to. Our God can do all things. The idea about the grave not being the end is there a lot in the Bible. Isaiah 26, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. In Daniel He writes, the multitude who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. In Revelation, John writes, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. There is no end to what God can do. No point at which he says, it's just not possible. And why is that? I think it's because our God is the God who is forever pursuing us. He is endlessly faithful. Images in the Bible about the prodigal son, one of my favourites. God's running down the road to meet us even before we fully got back to him. In Hosea, where Hosea goes to fetch his wife back after she's wandered off, our God is enormously faithful. But having been brought back to life, something would need to change about this army because you might remember I said towards the start... The reason why their bones and stuff were left is because they'd been unfaithful to God. And so there's no point bringing them back to life again if they're just going to do the same thing all over again. So now Ezekiel promises something different through God. And it's something that's happened four times already. Chapter 11, when God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Chapter 18, I will give you a new spirit. Chapter 36, a new spirit and a new heart. And each time it's like God saying, it's not enough for me to bring you back to life. I need to breathe my spirit into you so you actually want to pursue me. One of the first people that I ever prayed for, I remember sitting and praying with them and they were saying, but I want to do all this stuff that I know God doesn't like and I don't want to live my life God's way. I remember saying, do you know that bit of you that doesn't want to? (laughs) Like God will put his spirit in you and that will change that. And actually your heart will change and you'll become aligned with what he wants for you. And that's really what Ezekiel's saying here. It's not enough to just for the body to be brought back to life again in that sense. What you need is a new spirit, a new heart, a heart to pursue God. Now for some of you this morning, you might be thinking, I'm in that place actually. That I'm trying to do this life as best I can, but really I haven't committed myself to God yet. And God would say, that isn't how it's going to work. You'll actually need to let me in and I will help you to live this life. I will help you to have my spirit within you. 
In John's gospel, as you heard, Jesus breathed his spirit on the disciples and they were empowered. They were then able to declare God's forgiveness over people. Can these bones live? Yes, if God's spirit is in them, if God breathes on them, it's only him who can change. So thinking this morning, I wonder where your dry bones are that you're praying for. It might be your street. It might be somewhere else. Do you know, God could have done everything in the Bible without us. Jesus could have stayed on earth forever in his resurrection body. But we are told it was better that he went away, that we could be given the spirit, that breath of life in us, that we could be used to speak God's words, to bring his hope, to see dry bones live in all sorts of ways. We long, don't we, to see people come to know God for themselves. We love, we long to see our nation changed. And the beginning of this is having that hope and confidence that nothing is too late for God. He could even dig up the dead and make them, make them live. And so he can do anything through our prayers, through our words, through our obedience, as Ezekiel did.